Welcome to another exciting edition, maybe not exciting, but another edition of My Mind with Stefan Taylor. So I put music in my intro. I feel like I finally made it where I can work out how to put music in an intro. Um, I, I didn't figure out how to fade it out. So it'll just transition to me talking about putting music in the intro and then it probably getting louder and then phasing into just me talking again, which probably won't work. But, you know, look, it's trial and error. You know, sometimes you get things wrong and the the best you can do is just learn from it. And um, that's all you can really do, really. But um, this episode... I was going to talk about kitchen life and things that happen in a kitchen that, as I've said before, like, stand kit. I'm not trying to expose anybody or expose any lies or, or anything, but I just want to debunk a couple of, like, perceptions that people have. I'm going to apologize. I might even put music in the back of this because my neighbor is uh, mowing their lawn, so... There it goes. It's really loud. Um, so I apologize. I can't control um, people mowing the lawn. Uh, I could probably not do this now. I could probably wait for them to stop mowing. But, you know, look, I'm a busy guy. i got things to do. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that I need to do in a day. And this is ample time for me to do this. And... And it's obviously the ample time for them to mow their lawn, which is fine. You know, that's fine. You know, they've got to do it. Uh, I've got to do this. I want to do this. I'm, I'm really enjoying speaking my mind to um, to a, to, I don't know, to me, I guess, and to anyone listening, you know. It's actually quite, um, it's quite good to kind of keep, um to have your thoughts on something electronic. It's like the modern day, a podcast is like the modern day um, diary, diary where it's self-indulgent and um, you, you basically like saying your, saying what's on your mind and then you can go back and listen to it. And then other people can listen to it too of your, um, what you were thinking that day and your mindset that day. So that's pretty interesting to, um, to do uh yeah i'm gonna i'm definitely gonna put something in the background i'll see how bad it picks up the um lawnmower because where i live um the the walls are quite thin so anything a bird could tweet outside and you'd probably hear it that's either how thin my walls are or how good my microphone is so yeah take that either way oh he's gone further into his lawn so he's gone away a little bit um, but yeah, so I wanted to talk about the kind of highs and lows of kitchens. Uh, kitchen work is a lot like, um, the kitchen dynamic is a lot like, um, close to, um, like bipolar and like the description of, um, bipolar is like when you're up, you're up. And then when you're down, you're down, you know, like the, the best compliments 
or even like a nice compliment can put you so far high in the air. This is where the ego comes in is that when 20 people like your food and then you get like this weird bragging right that like this guy that I didn't know liked my steak. So, you know, obviously everyone likes my steak. If this, if these 20 people like my steak, then everyone likes my steak and I'm really good. And it just kind of rockets you into the sky. You get like more and more reviews and some people deserve it for sure. Um, so yeah, you just get like rocketed into the sky of like good review, good review, good review. And then you get one bad one where someone doesn't like the thing that you're really good at. It's quite detrimental. It's quite, it's quite saddening because it just puts you down in the dumps. You know, it's like, why, why did this, what you take it so negatively? Like, why did this person not like it when 40 other people did or 20 other people did, you know, they loved it. They raved about it. They told their friends, they told them to come back. And then the guy that didn't like it came back and said they didn't like it and then told more and more people. And like I said, uh, maybe last one or the one before, but if you get one bad review in hospitality, then that carries more weight than any good review you'll ever get. Because if you, if you have a bad experience somewhere, you'll tell everybody, you'll tell everybody they had a bad experience. But if you have a good one, it's, it's, it's not rare, but it's uncommon that you keep telling people. Unless someone asks you about it, then, then you tell them, you know? And it's often in hospitality, you do get disappointed by other places you go to. It's, it's the ego again. It's like you only think that your workplace is the only place doing good at something. You go somewhere else and have it and you're just disappointed because you're not used to how they're preparing it or how they're serving it when it's the same thing at your work, but you just do it better because everyone has said, <laughs> everyone that you've served has said, um, the, the food's better here. So why would you go out, you know? Um, I don't much enjoy going to eat at my workplace um as much my son loves it my son's a bit of a sucker for chips and gravy and the place i work at um does chips and gravy so um and you know i've got faith in my team as well that they can if i order something they're going to make it nice for me and i know that if they get my meal right then everyone else's meal is going to be right because that's how it trickles down you know um but yeah, so being being in a kitchen and being in a chef is a lot like um, balancing um, the high and lows and to be staying humble and grounded enough to be able to take criticism and compliments and stay not necessarily at the same level, but stay level-headed. That's a big thing to juggle in a kitchen. And a lot of young guys struggle with that. You know, it's, that's I don't necessarily believe in um, the mentality of, you know, you got to pump up the tires. So, you know, make them feel really good about the little things they do to get more work out of it. It works for some people, but some people it just works the other way. Like you pump their tires up a little bit and it just, it like snowballs. It's just cause you know, um, if you, if you say to one guy, you know, um, I want you to do the, the cheese boards because you're the, you're really good at them. And then they could take that as, I'm the only one that can do them well. <laughs> and then they go and say, Hey, I know exactly how chef wants the cheese boards. 
because that is mine. Them, that I take personal responsibility for every cheese board that comes in because I am the cheese board man, you know. So people can take it the uh, the other way, which uh, isn't good for morale with the other staff members. And then you know, other staff members can either take it as oh, they can either see it for what it is. It's like the chef's trying to or the boss is trying to pump up his tires to get the most work out of him. But still like, he's not giving me the compliments that I think I deserve, you know? So, um, it's just that balance, balancing. I think one of the, the best worst advice I ever got, um, for managing, um, kitchens was, and I, know, I only really understood it maybe three or four years ago was that you have to manage through manipulation. And not like a Sith Lordy kind of dark kind of way, but you need to be able to manipulate a person so they're manageable. So you need to be able to um, manipulate that person into um, getting the best out of them. And like I said, it's not in a um, in a um, a detrimental way. It's in, it's it's in a positive way. You want to manage these people. And manipulate them so you get the best. There we go, whip snipper. Here we go, baby. <laughs> um, this guy, this guy's hacking weeds. I can't, I can't see him, but I can feel the weeds not having a good time. Um, <laughs> I'm just gonna apologize again. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So the the best advice I can give to someone is if you can learn to manipulate someone to get the best out of them in a positive way, then you can manage them. If, if, and it, it's also leading by example. Like if you see, if I saw my boss getting under the bench and cleaning under the bench when they're doing the floor or wiping out the fridges or making sure stocks rotated and topped up, then that's that's the employee I want to be because I because essentially you want that guy's job in five years or two years or one year you know you want to be at the same you want to be at the level where your boss is right so you want to make sure you can do everything to get to that level and a lot of young young kids don't understand that they just um, they just see it as a job where as a lot of people in hospitality know that it's it's a lifestyle it's a lifestyle. It's a life choice. It's a career. It's more than a job. Hospitality is one of the most draining but fulfilling jobs in the world. It is so fulfilling and humbling when people come up after shift, whether you have a good night or a bad night, and they say thank you. Thank you for serving me dinner. You know, thank you for... Um, I really enjoyed the way you cooked that kangaroo or steak or whatever, you know, like that is, that is absolutely, they're, they're the best compliments you get, you know, and you got to take them. You take them where you can get them because I guarantee the next couple of nights mightn't be as positive, you know, and it doesn't matter if it's like fine dining or bistro brasserie, or you just stand there carbon roast, like all hospitality like I said, whether it be fine dining or or not, uh, are the same industry. And the people, the pay doesn't go up um, if you're in a better place, you know? 
the pay doesn't go down if you're in a worse place. Sometimes the pay is actually better in places that, um, in some pubs than it is in some fine dining restaurants. Because you do the same, the same work. You do different jobs, but you do the same work. You have the same workload. Like the days don't change. Like I've gone from uh, restaurants and bars and pubs and clubs and hotels and all of them, an average day for me is um, between 10 and 12 hours. That's just, that's half a day. There's 24 hours in a day and that's half a day. So every day I work for half a day. Half a day I work. I'm not saying woe is me. I'm saying that's the reality. That's what it is, you know? And I've been in hospitality long enough to know that that's what the industry demands of me. And that's what my chef was doing when I was coming through. He was standing there doing the hard yards while I was trying to, you know, fluff about and prove a point to anybody that would... (laughs) anybody that would listen, you know? So, um, so you learn your work ethic through your boss. That's, you know, and it's through the, the manipulation. Like he was, oh, I don't know if he was thinking about manipulating me or not, but he was subtly suggesting that I need to work harder or he wasn't too subtle sometimes, but he was saying you need to work harder to get, to the level of um, of where you can work and work well and work by yourself, you know, creating competency. Because I wasn't very competent um, or confident when it came to, to cooking when I first started. I was very shell-shocked by the industry. I remember I did my first 16-hour day. It was an Anzac day at this place I was working at. And it was so long. I, I was I was in my first year, um, and it was like the the longest time I'd ever been on my feet working. In Australia Day in Australia, oh, sorry, Anzac Day um, in Australia is this huge event, you know, because Anzac Day is um, um, all about celebrating our our veterans, and. Um, it is like, it's, it's the coolest day. Anzac Day is the greatest. Um, and to work it is even better because not only do you get our, you know, your public holiday pay, but you get to be there from start to finish. You get to see, you get to see how busy it is and how busy places get from the very first minute from where you're having the traditional shot of rum before you serve breakfast to... 400 people (laughs) and then you and then you you know you're finishing having that shot of rum when you're finishing raising toast to the fallen you know it's awesome it's the greatest thing i um because of the state of the world i I missed anzac day this year and it's it's the first it's probably the second one in my career that i haven't worked it every other time i've worked it which is um you know, it's nice to keep the trend. It's like when you don't work Christmas in hospitality, people understand this. It's like when you, when you don't work at Christmas, you start to miss working on Christmas. <laughs> like as much as you want to hang out with your family and be there for your family. Um, you get so used to working these, um, big family events like Christmas, Easter, Anzac day that you forget what to do when you go and have it off. <laughs> 
you know, you forget that you need to be home and you, you uh, a lot of chefs or hospitality people end up doing their job at Christmas time. I remember um, I had Christmas Eve off, uh, maybe not last year, but the year before, but I drove down to uh, my family's hometown or my hometown and um, I went there and uh, I cooked <laughs> and my wife, who um, is in hospitality as well, she she cooked and I wasn't there for Christmas Day, but I guarantee she would have poured someone a glass of wine and she would have taken food to someone for sure, whether it be my son or my cousins or my nephews or whatever. She um, she would have served, you know, and that's what periodically we've done for most uh, Christmases is wait on people or cook food, prepare food, portion food, cut food, slice the turkey, you know. And your family, it's not, um, I'm not saying... Um, bad things about the family, but it's, um, they, they kind of, when they do something that, that involves your industry, they, they ask you and they say, Oh, is that how you would cut it? Which is fine. You know, if that's the profession I chose, it'd be the same if I was a martial arts instructor and my nephew asked me how to throw a punch or throw a kick, you know, you just, um, you ask the person with experience. Like if I ask my, um, I would ask my godfather um, how to play a chord because he plays guitar really well, you know. So um, you just ask the person whether who they have the most, what they have experience in. It's not necessarily um, just, you know, you're not telling someone to, to do something, you're asking for help, which is fine. But a lot of people in hospitality see it the other way. It's like you're asking me to serve my own family is asking me to serve, even though they're not, they're not saying that. They're just saying, can you show me how you would do it? Because you've talked about doing it for the last 10 years. So, you know, maybe you can just cut the roast beef, please. And then you, you, you get on this high horse where you're like, Whoa, I stand on my feet for 13 hours a day. I don't want to come home for Christmas and slice roast beef. And then when they slice it, you think, oh, they should have cut against the grain. <laughs> and then you think, oh, I should have just done it. And then the next Christmas you go home and you opt to do everything so it tastes right, so it's done right, you know, and it's that mentality of um, if you want things done, you do it yourself, which is a big um, thing in hospitality that a lot of people need to break and um, need to... Um, kind of lose that mentality because it's a big one. You know, you get so dependent on yourself and your own work ethic and uh, what you do that you um, you just think, oh, I can just do it myself. Why would I pay someone or why would I show someone when I can just do it myself and then be happy with the product, you know? But as I've learned, you can't do everything yourself. There's been many a time where I've had nearly an overdose on caffeine to try and get, you know, uh, an A4 sheet of prep jobs done before service or during service or getting it ready for that night service. You know, there's been many a time of double down on some double blacks and triple shots and just going hard, you know, taking three minute breaks, four minute breaks, 
if that, to try and smash out prep list, smash out work so it's ready for the next day. I would work harder before my day off rather than my first day back because I would want everything set up and organized so that when the next guy came on, he would be set. So he would have no issues. I would try so hard to make sure that um, we'd be set up for the next day. I actually used to, um, if I had a day off, um, I would call the next guy before his shift and just word him up of what's happening. Um, and, you know, we'd have a great conversation over a coffee and a, um, oh, I used to smoke with then, so, you know, I have a smoke and a coffee. And, we, you know, we just used to chat and catch up and, you know, they're always good guys. But you always, like, try and hand over. I think that's the biggest thing in hospitality. One of the biggest things that lets hospitality down is that um, for an industry that communicates so much, we don't communicate. <laughs> it's like you're so reliant on that silent communication, the um, the monotony of coming in and doing the not the same jobs, but doing being in routine. You know, so Wednesday you're doing stocks, and then come Thursday or Friday you're making the jus and you're making the sauces, and then you're prepping the chicken or whatever. You know, so you get into a routine. And then when you're busy on a day, it throws out your routine. You have to start doing stocks on a Monday instead of a Wednesday. And, you know, it all gets a little bit out of hand and a little bit crazy. But, um, yeah, uh, I still love hospitality. And I feel like I've seen enough that I would keep going. I would keep going for sure. There's no doubt in my mind that I would still cook, even casually. If I lost, if there was some extreme circumstances where I lost my job, I'd still want to come back into kitchens, you know, because the people, it's the people that make the job. The people in hospitality are some of the nicest people. Obviously, in any industry, there's people that you don't like and you don't agree with. But um, for the most part, like hospitality people, are the nicest people, straight up people too. They're always like hard on their sleeve. They always tell you what's what. They never beat around the bush and they never talk behind your back. They always tell you straight up and up front, you know, if there's an issue because that's how you grow and that's how you learn. You know, you take that criticism and then you learn from it and then you fix the problem. The way I see hospitality is um, there's no problems. There's just solutions all the time. That's like, that's my go-to for, for anything, you know. Oh, I've got a problem with this and this and this. Instead of dragging out the problem, what's the solution? How do we fix it? Let's just fix it and then we can get about our day. We can go along our day, you know. Even if it's, you know, someone's not cutting the tomatoes right, we'll just tell them. Tell them you're not cutting the tomatoes right and then that'll fix it. And if it doesn't work, go to your superior. And if that doesn't work, then you need to start throwing out warnings because that's twice. Twice has been told, three times a warning, you know. So, um, and we just live large. Hospitality people, we live large, large and in charge. Like, we, like, you've, you've probably seen um, an insight into it with, um, you know, Anthony Bourdain, um, Rest in Power and um, Marco Pierre White and the Gordon Ramsay's and all that and the Hestons and the um, the Brett Grahams and all that kind of thing. And the, uh, yeah, Peter Gilmore as well, I guess. But um, I don't mean his guess. 
I guess, because you know, he's an outstanding Australian chef. If if you ever got an, if I ever got an opportunity to eat a key um, with Peter Gilmore cooking, I would jump on it. Jump on it. Actually, I want to say something about Peter Gilmore is that he not only made um, food really, really good, but he made the expectation really, really high for a lot of people, um, for a lot of chefs in Australia. Like there was that time he was just sphering everything, making everything into a sphere. You know how hard it is to be a chef and someone asks you to make a Peter Gilmore eaten mess or the, um, um, his seven texture chocolate cake. And you just, you just stumped, you know, you read the recipe and you understand how it happens and you do it. And there's, it's not, I don't know if he leaves things out. I've never had a conversation with him, but there's some things in there that you just, there's a lot of things in there that you can't do in a, um, stock standard commercial kitchen. Like you can pull it off, but it's going to take a long time. Like I remember, um, they had an eaten mess on at one place I worked and I said to the guy, um, he was like, oh, I just don't know how to plate this. Like, I'm just trying to wrap my head, trying to figure out a cool way to plate this. And I said, why don't you sphere it? <laughs> why don't you try and sphere it? And he was like, who am I, Peter Gilmore? What are we going to do? Sphere everything? What, you want me to sphere everything? We're going to sphere things? You know, that's a um, inside hospitality joke, I guess. But um, yeah, so the next day I came to work. I... Mind you, I'd only tempered chocolate maybe once or twice before this time. And I tempered chocolate and painted it in a ladle and then cooled it in ice water, put it in the fridge and made a sphere. And the time it took me to make maybe three or four spheres was time I could have spent doing something else. You know, so as much as he... Um, cooks really well and does amazing things. I'm not bagging on him, but he, do, but like, you know, a lot of these like TV chefs set the bar so high that when you go out to say, you know, a pub or a hotel, it's like, that's the expectation. It comes all back to that expectation. I've talked about it before, but um, it always comes back to what it's like. Um, um, What's the, the, the thing? It's like reality versus expectation versus reality, right? So like the expectation is like the perfect burger. And then the reality is like your burger's falling apart. And there's like heaps and heaps of sauce and it's in a cardboard box and it's not served on this delicious butter. Excuse me. So it makes it hard to, um, to explain to people that you're not in key. And you're not in um, Muse. You're at your local pub and the chef is working with what he has to present and create good food, whether it be on a special or a schnitzel, you know, like those guys or anyone in a kitchen tries really, really hard to make food not only um, edible to the eye, but edible to the palate, you know. So, look, shout out Peter Gilmore because you've done great things for hospitality. And when I saw your um, seven texture chocolate cake, look, I was worried. 
I was worried that one day I would have to recreate it. And I might, you know, one day I might, you know, and I'll hashtag key in it. I'll try and, um, I'll try and do it. But yeah, I was a bit worried that I'd have to make that, um, professionally. Like a lot of things that get made on like the master chefs or they see on taste got Tom, a lot of them get turned into recipes, right? For uh, a restaurant or, or a pub, right? And the thing about a lot of those recipes is that they don't have, um, you can't use them commercially. And it's not like a copyright thing. It's a mise en place thing. Like a lot of these um, recipes have 20 things in them. And it's hard to shortcut, um, shortcut the mise en place into making it easy to serve. Like there's an old saying in like fast pace. Um, <laughs> what did this guy say? This this work experience kid said something to um, um, one of my mates when we were working. He was like, um, <laughs> high volume, fine dining. And he was like, um, um, <laughs> high volume, fine dining. That's my niche, chef. That's what I want to do. I want to do two, 300 covers, all a la carte, fine dining. That is my niche. That is what I want to do. And it's, um, that's a hard thing to do. You know, if you've got a line of chefs, like eight or nine guys, it can be easy. But if you're three guys trying to pump out fine dining, and obviously there's people that done it and there's people that do it. And I've been victim to it. You know, it happens. You know, sometimes the roster doesn't work out in your favor and you can't, um, it's unpredictable. You can't, you can say that, oh, Mondays usually aren't busy based on statistics. But there's no statistic that says a bus is coming through your town and a hundred people are going to get off and start ordering. You know, that's not a, um, you can't, you can't account that. Like how many people have been, um, at a dinner party and everything's gone wrong. You know, grandma's burnt the roast and there's, there's no pot pie and the potato bake screwed. So what do they do? They go order. They go, you know, order takeaway or they go to a restaurant and then at drop of a hat, 20 people come in on a night that you didn't expect 20 people to come in. You should always expect war. You should always welcome war in a kitchen. You should always prepare like it's like it's going down. Like there, every day is a busy day. Treat a Monday like a Saturday. Treat a sun- Sunday like a Saturday. Treat a Tuesday like a Saturday. Treat every day like it's the busiest day you ever had. And then you'll never be disappointed. You'll never, you'll never get caught off guard. Because service always ends. That's another big um, advice for all you young guys that listen to this in hospitality is that service will eventually end. <laughs> service will never go on forever. I've had some services that have gone on for what feels like 10 hours when often they are, well, they have, <laughs> you know, I've, yeah, at uh, one hotel, one busy hotel I worked at, I was, um, working from oh, 10 o'clock to 10 o'clock 
and it felt like all I did was cook sandwiches and chips and squid and burgers and and you know you're doing the best you can to get the food out and then you have to ask for help you say mate come over here help me pump this out and then they get it out and then you're back on your own they're prepping you know trying to get the prep scared away and then you're back on that back on the service <laughs> pumping it out pumping it out just waiting for prep waiting for top-ups you know trying to get it all done it's um yeah, it's a hard thing but um it's still a fun thing it's great there's no thrill than being under pressure with dockets pouring in. I can tell you that anyone who's listening to this who is hospitality minded, you've been woken up in the middle of the night hearing a docket machine going, you've woken up to that noise or you've had a nightmare or a dream about the docket machine. Or you hear it, you're just standing in the kitchen it's not even service time and you hear the docker machine going you hear it because <laughs> there's been many a time where i've woken up to nightmares about the um about the old docker machine you know coming in and you can kind of you can gauge if it's a um if it's a tall order or a short order by how long it riddles out for you know so if it's just do 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 it's one quick one easy and then you know do 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 and everyone in the kitchen's like oh come on like far out we let a table of 10 order all in the one docket and they all want it at the same time let's go get it out bang it out giddy up pony up you know the things you say in the kitchen to like rev you guys up you know pony up buttercup let's get it out get it in and out sucky it to me baby yeah, I've said that um a few times. There was one guy, me and this one guy working the line and he was running the pass. I was on grill and what grill entails of where we worked was cooking steaks, cooking proteins and then uh, making the odd pasta or um, doing, doing serves of veg from the pan sections. So we had gyozas like dumplings, little Japanese dumplings. So you'd be making them as well. And... It, you know, I was G'd up, ready for like this massive night because um, <laughs> we cooked all day. Service kicked off at like 5.30 and, you know, he's like calling tickets. I'm, we chef, we chef, we chef. And I'm like, sucky it to me, baby. And he's standing at the front losing it. And he's like, sucky it to me, baby. And we're all G'd up, ready to go and just pumping out the service, you know. I remember one time he come over trying to help me and i was like no nah, go away i think it was his last shift and i was like no nah, go away go away it's your last shift i'll do all this you stand at the front run the pass i'll run this line don't worry about it you know you get so headstrong as a chef and um you know some of the greatest times i've had was at that workplace and some of the people i met are just so nice um like i said you know you take good and bad it's good and bad in every industry or every neighborhood and every demographic for wherever it be you know fine dining or um or you know working at a pub or a hotel where it's not considered fine dining but um yeah there's been some classic ones i think one of the <laughs> one of the funniest things um i've had a, there's been so many i've got i've got a i've got a sack of um hospitality stories but this is this is a funny one when um this we had a 
beef burger on our menu and we were just spitballing um ideas on how to you know make the service quicker how can we um how can we make this um the process of cooking uh this is the thing like a burger at this place only took about eight minutes and for in someone's mind that was too long to wait (laughs) so we had to try and make the process um four minutes (laughs) so we had to take four minutes off a cook time we had to make it in a sustainable way where we weren't throwing heaps of food out and or holding food for an extended period so this the chef at the time the um executive chef um well i mean me me and my mate we always used to think he would just like come up with these spitball ideas like drinking he, he um, did some time in Japan, so, you know, he loved Japan, whatever. We, we used to picture him sitting in this, like, one-bedroom apartment with, like, a little tea-like candle, <laughs> eating up sake, and then, like, having these crazy ideas of how to make service quicker in a kitchen where service didn't need to be quicker, trying to, like, halve steps and just, like, nailing these sakis and getting hammered and um, then coming to work and then, like, telling us, telling me and my mate these... Um, these crazy uh, ideas he had. And some of them were okay. But the one that got us was, um, he was like, he said, let's steam the burger patties. So they're already cooked because we cooked them from raw 12 minutes or eight minutes. And um, we cooked from raw. And he said, why don't you just steam them? And then like hot hold them. Hot holding is where you hold food at a certain temperature. Um, so it stays hot. And <laughs> I said, yeah, for sure. Let's, let's, um, <laughs> let's, let's, let's steam burger patties. Why not? And my mate was like, are you serious? And I said jokingly, sarcastically, yeah, for sure. Why not? Let's do that. Why not? And he was, and this chef was serious. He was like, yeah, I gave you the idea on how to shorten this. So it's not up to me to have all the ideas. I want you to steam all the burgers. And I looked at my mate and I almost walked. I'd never, I've never come so close to walking out of a job than that moment right there when this guy asked me to steamed burger patties to take four minutes off a cooking process because either a person was a person was too impatient and made a complaint that they waited too long or management just decided that our kitchen wasn't fast enough right so it it shocked me to my core that i would have to work in a place that steamed burger patties and so i started packing up my stuff and um I said to my mate, I said, I'm just going to go out for a smoke. And he said, yeah, yeah, chef, just, just do it. And I was like, I'll be back in a minute, chef. And went and had a smoke, thought about it. And then thought, no, nah, it's okay. You know, there could be worse situations. Let's just get through tonight. And cause you don't want to walk out of this job. This job's a really good job. And, um, I went back and the whole, the whole night, you know, with these steam burger patties, my mates like, um, do you remember that episode of the Simpsons <laughs> where the superintendent, um, like principal Skinner's boss goes to his house 
<laughs> and he's like, uh, what's, what, I, I can't remember this skit too well, but he's like, um, what, what's that? That, and he's like steamed hams and he's like, Skinner, your kitchen is on fire. And he's like, oh no, it's not. It's Aurora Borealis. And he's like, Aurora Borealis in your kitchen at this time of year. And Skinner's like, yes. <laughs> so the whole night, me and me and my mate are like, every time a burger would come in, is Aurora Borealis in this kitchen at this time of year on this burger. <laughs> and he'd be like, yes. <laughs> uh, it was so good. It's so funny. And they're like the, the conversations you have. You just, you pick like something and you hang on to it and that gets you through the day. So that was like a really crummy day for me. But because he told me about Aurora Borealis <laughs> from The Simpsons and then he kept calling it out instead of saying like, uh, and it just went on. Like it had legs. That's what we say when a joke keeps running and keeps going, you know, that, that joke had legs. It ran forever. You know, it was, it made um, a not very good situation into a funny one and a, um, a good one, you know, like that's a nice memory now. It's a horrible circumstance <laughs> and it's a horrible thing to do, but it's nice. And, you know, Full disclaimer, we did go back um, after that chef left. We went back to cooking them for eight minutes and no one complained. So, you know, maybe they thought we were still steaming hams, but uh, we didn't. So that was good. It was really nice, you know. We did nice food out there, which is great. Um, Yeah, and... Sorry, it still makes me laugh just thinking of being on that cook line with that guy. He's a funny guy. All the guys that worked out there, we all made the most um, of of the situation there. Um, Yeah, so good. And that's like the camaraderie you build with like these people that you you only know for, you only know at work, but because you spend 12 hours a day with this person, you end up either getting along or not liking each other and then getting along, you know? So you, you create these, like these bonds of friendship and camaraderie, which, um, you hold on to, you have friends for life because of that camaraderie and that, um, belief in each other. And when you can see someone dig themselves out of a hole, that's like 30 or 40 dockets deep, you've got respect for that guy. You're like, yeah, he can do it. He's, he's got my respect because he can, he can work well, work clean and, you know, he's, he's got my respect because he's, you know, he does a really good job and I respect that, you know? So, um, that's, that's kind of like kitchen life. You know, you learn to love these people and then you have a beer afterwards and, you know, you laugh about Aurora Borealis in the kitchen at this time of year in Australia. (laughs) And you laugh about it and you have a good time. We still talk about it over the phone, I'm sure. Um, Anyway, so, yeah, so, like, the the people that are generally employed in hospitality are definitely of a kind of subculture. Like, for me, there's not too many people that had, like, prospects in life that were jumping in kitchens. 
anyone who did, did it for like um, either the thrill or they watched too many movies or too many TV shows, you know, and they thought they could do it. They watched like My Kitchen Rules too much and thought, yeah, you know, they can do it on TV, these Joe Blow nobodies. So I'm going to jump in the kitchen, give it a crack, you know. And um, yeah, so the people that are like hired and the people that do well are generally people with like not great backgrounds, pretty questionable backgrounds. Um, not like full weirdos, but little weirdos. We're like the little, that little genre that's like, um, like, like, yeah, we're just like a, a, a very, a, a niche of people that do hospitality. I think it's like a pretty small demographic of um, people. There's a lot of people in hospitality, that, but, but the people that succeed is very small, I think, because it's got hospitality, I think, has a really big turnover of people and staff. It's um, It's crazy. I mean, there's been some jobs where I've seen 10 or 12 chefs come and go within six months. You know, that's high. You know, you don't see that at like H&R block down the road. You don't see an accountant hiring and firing or letting go um, 12 accountants. You know, they generally pick one and they just, just kind of stick with it and they do their job. So, but in hospitality, because you've got such a broad but niche demographic, it, you've, you've kind of got to, you got to, sift through a lot of riffraff and people that are doing the job for the wrong reasons or excuse me, were good, but not living up to the expectation. And the people that um, I know now and have worked with, I've worked with or will work with again, you know, I will work with them again. And that shows, um, you know, the kind of, you know, they, 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 they prove it in their work ethic, but yeah. So like a lot of chefs were all tied into this weird social outcast, like none, like not many of us finished our HSC. All of us got a trade at six, you know, a lot of us, I won't say all of us, a lot of us got a trade at 16. A lot of us went through like this punishing minimum wage apprenticeship to then finally earn above minimum wage and then work out our butts off for so long and then be accepted into like a middle-class wage. I think, you know, it's a hard slog. And when you're in your mid-teens and early 20s and you're working this hard, you lose a lot. You know, that's where it comes back into the rock star lifestyle that a lot of chefs have is that you're still, you're working 12 hours a day or 15 to 16 hours a day in some places, but you still want to enjoy your youth. You still want to be the young person that goes to uni night, that goes to hospo nights, that goes and gets absolutely annihilated and then comes back to work. This is like the evil trick that, a lot of um, chefs do is they take the apprentices out, get them like super drunk. And then, um, then, you know, they have to come into work the next day and then they come in and they go, Oh chef, I feel so sick. And it's like, well, it's self-inflicted. No one forced a beer in your hand. No one told you to do those three shots at 3am. No one told you that it's self-inflicted. 
no sympathy. You know, a lot of guys like that. I'm be like that. You know, um, if it's self-inflicted, then I've got no sympathy for you. If something bad has happened in your family and you explain your situation, then you know, I'll um, I'll be a bit more sympathetic. But if you've just gotten, if you've got a hangover, self-inflicted, mate. No, no free pass. Um, yeah. So we live this like cruel rock star lifestyle on like minimum wage. We're like the poorest rock stars, but <laughs> but we party as hard as you know people living at large. Yeah, because that's like that's how you blow off steam. That's how in an industry where you have to swallow so much um crap that the only way to blow it off is like party till 2am <laughs> and then talk to your workmates about it you know like at one place i worked at um we all we all a lot of the chefs it was like maybe 10 of us at one time we'd all go and we'd sit on this park bench um in like the the smoking area and we'd all sit there and we'd all have a beer and we would talk about our day and it was like a um a men's shed or like a a counseling circle it was like group therapy you know because we like worked through our problems and then we were ready the next day and you know a lot of times i've said to a lot of guys um that you know thanks for having a chat you know, I, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having a chat with me tonight. You know, thanks for um, listening to me and hearing me out. And, uh, you know, obviously a lot of guys are appreciative. And you want to get, you know, as many people to talk through your problems. Talking is very important in hospitality. I said it before, communication is one of the biggest things in hospitality. Um, and it's a big thing for mental health really as well because you know if you're not talking about your problems and you can't fix your problems you know so it's it comes back to there's no problems it's just solutions it's how you fix it that makes it good that makes it better you know i'm struggling a little bit with my um my weight i'm starting to i'm trying to cut back in the beer and i'm starting to pack it on a little bit so i'm trying to i'm making a conscious effort and the solution is work out and eat better so i'm working out and trying to eat better you know, that's the solution to my problem. And then in return, hopefully in six months, I'll feel better and hopefully look better and I'll be a bit happier. Not that I'm not happy. I'm always happy. You know, I'm generally pretty happy. It takes a lot. It takes a lot to, um, to make me unhappy. There's, oh, but in saying that I'm pretty petty. So there's some things that just ruin my day. Like, if someone bumped in the line and I confronted them about it and they were not very nice about it, that would ruin my day. Um, if here's one thing that ruined my day, I was working in a place and I had a horrible night on my section. I was topping it up. I was packing down. I had like not a very nice day and this apprentice come over takes my glad wrap and I blasted him. I was like, what are you doing, mate? Put the glad wrap down. You're not even going to say please for my glad wrap, put it down. And he was like, oh, cranky. And I was like, I am because you didn't use your manners taking my glad wrap. (laughs) And I've got no right to talk to anybody like that. 
over cling film, (laughs) over glad wrap, over a bit of plastic to cover my food for the next day. Um, But there's been worse things. I think one of the... But you got to pull them up on that kind of stuff as well because, you know, like, we're not animals. We don't just take things from people and not say anything and then jip them for the next day. Like, that sucks. Yeah. And if I'm using something, see, it's already ruined my day. If if I'm using something, wouldn't the correct thing to do is, like, may I use the glide wrap after you? Are you finished with the glide wrap? I remember one guy... He, um, someone was trying to show him how to, he was an apprentice. Someone was trying to show him, um, someone said to him, oh, I'll show you how to uh, cut and portion this whole rump. And we only had one red board and you, you cut red meat on a, um, on a red board on beef rump. And this other guy is using it to cut whatever he's cutting. And he was a qualified chef. And the apprentice goes up and he's like, um, can I have the red board? And he said, no, you can't, I'm using it. And, um, he was like, oh, I'll just, I'll, I'll just have it when he's done. And he was like, are you trying to tell me to hurry up? Are you trying to tell me to work faster? Because I'm not going to. Now I'm going to work slower to punish you for not using your manners and being respectful to me while I'm using the red chopping board. We only have one and I'm using it. So you can wait your turn and be patient. And that probably ruined that guy's day. Let that apprentice come up and essentially told him to work harder. Well, that's how he took it. You know, you need to work harder so I can do my job. You know, so um, I just want to say thank you for listening to me talk about hospitality for 45 minutes. I know I usually do like, a game or like a movie or I don't usually I've only done this is only seven so I've only done seven things um but I usually talk about you know comic books and stuff but I really had a lot to say about hospitality and yeah it's a good insight you know like hopefully someone takes away from this knowing a little bit more about the people in hospitality and will be a little bit more courteous that's that's the grand design. That's the hope. That's the dream that someone listens to this and says, maybe I won't take his glad rap because he might be having a bad day. <laughs> or I'm not going to tell that chef to steam hands and create an Aurora Borealis kind of situation. Um, yeah. But look, thank you. And... I'm going to do another one. Not now, but maybe next week. Um, yeah, so that's it. How do you end? Oh, I'll just end it there, eh? Thank you.